I got a couple questions to ask you. Not a couple questions. I got a few things. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna do something really simple here, and uh, hopefully it's it's enjoyable enjoyable and painful at the same time. If you have a piece of paper, get it out or like um something to just mark like your score, you know, you can use your hands, there's 10 of them up here, so use your hands to mark your score or a phone or something like that, okay, and we're just gonna, we're gonna go through some things, it's just like a couple of statements, and if, and if you're like, mm, yeah, I would say that applies to me, then uh, you're just gonna give yourself a mark, okay, so the first one, go ahead, Shane, you often change lanes approaching a stoplight to the other one with at least one less car, that's you, like on the norm, you're like, oh, shoot, yeah, that's me, just give yourself a point, just give yourself a point. Yeah. Yeah, one to ten. One to ten. Highest, you know, highest score wins. I might have you beat because I wrote these and they're about, they're about my own lack of health. So, <laughs> so yeah, heavy bias, right? Yeah. You don't really win by getting a high score. You'll note that at the end, right? <laughs> You're, yeah. So um, I'll be the biggest loser in the room. Next one. First thing you do in the morning is you check your phone. Just give yourself a point. That's the first thing you do. Outside of turning your alarm off, is you turn your alarm off, then you flick it open and check something. First thing you do, right? If you don't do that, man, good for you. Next one. You really couldn't add one more night to your week or to your family schedule without being overwhelmed. The idea of one more night a week, scheduled thing, overwhelms you. You're like, ooh, I, I don't think we can handle that. Just give yourself a mark, just a point, okay? Points aren't bad, they're not good. They're not bad. They're just a thing. Next one. When asked how your week was, you often respond, busy, but good. Just a point. Give yourself a point, right? Busy, but good. You know, that's you. I don't know your life, but if that's you, just, uh, yeah, give yourself a point. No big deal. Uh, the next one. Eat fast food more than three times a week, including all meals, not just for dinner, including all meals. You eat fast food more than three times a week. <laughs> you don't have to tell us how many times a week, but just, you know, it's more than three times a week, alone or with family, right? Just give yourself a point. It's not a big deal. Now, next one. You have two unfinished streaming series that you're actively watching. So it's like they're streaming series. <laughs> how many? No, I won't ask. I won't ask. <laughs> but you got at least two streaming series, like shows you're watching that you're in the middle of right? You're not done it yet. You're in the middle of a season. Not like you're done a season waiting for the next season, but you're in the middle of a season. Two, at least two of them. That's a, that's a, just asking. It's just a point. Give yourself a point if that's you. If not, great. That's not, it's fine. It's fine. Next one. You frequently hope that plans get canceled so that you can have a night to relax. If that's you, just give yourself a point. It's fine. It's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just Bethany's laughing because we had this conversation. <laughs> When uh, one of the major events got canceled here because of an apocalyptic snowstorm, Bethany and I both looked at each other and went, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and then the Downtown Business Association called us and said, do you guys want Santa for three hours? And we went, yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. We'll take him. So then we stayed. That's a point. At a point. What's next? You haven't shown up to Wednesday prayer in any morning because it's at 7 a.m. or you're just too busy. It's just a point. It's fine. <laughs> That's not a dig. I know. I added that because I'm like, I had a conversation with somebody about it. And they did show up. So, so yeah. It's like, oh, it's 7 a.m., too busy. It's just too early. Just give yourself a point. It's fine. It's not a big deal. 
You probably pray other times. It's fine. Like, it's not an indictment on your spirituality. I'm just, let's just give yourself a point. Next one. Ooh. You sleep less than eight hours on average every night. This is only worth one point. If you sleep for more than eight hours a night on average, put up your hand. Good for you. Like the healthiest people in the room. Yeah. Eight hours is tough, man. I was fighting a demon last night in the middle of the night. No, she was sweet. She's sweet. (laughs) She learned something this week from her older sister. It was bad. It was bad. Next one. You scroll on your phone almost every time that you're in line somewhere. It's just worth a point. Not one point every time you're somewhere. Just one point if that's like your norm. All right. Anyone score more than five? I, sco- I scored eight, so it's okay. I scored eight, right? More than five, more than five points, okay. Some of you guys did pretty well, actually. Oh, I'm impressed by you. I think you're liars, but I'm impressed by you if you're not. Really, I actually believe that you're, you're amazing if you're not. All right, fine. Last one, bonus question of the day is you find it difficult to spend time with God daily because your schedule doesn't afford it. You're just too busy or you're just too tired. It's like someone asked you, if someone asked you like, hey, do you spend time with God every day? And you're like, man, I want to, I'd like to, I believe in that, you know, but man, I'm just tired or man, I'm just so busy and stuff. Like if that's your normal response, it's okay. Just give yourself a bonus point if that's you. Dallas Willard, um, He's a, a late philosopher, theologian at the University of Southern California. He said that the greatest barrier to spiritual formation, when he says spiritual formation, what he means is like discipleship in the church. What he means is like people growing in, in, in Christ-likeness, right? What he means is like people becoming more Christian than they are, that, that you, you, you can, you know, that you can grow in your faith, right? So that's what he means, spiritual formation, being formed into the likeness of God, being formed in the likeness of Christ. He says that the biggest barrier to people growing in their spiritual formation in the church today is distraction as a result of busyness. He went on to say that if the church wants to have any chance at making disciples of Jesus, we must first start with ruthlessly eliminating hurry in our lives. That's what he said. He's smarter than I am. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust him on that one. Uh, a guy named Michael Zigarelli says this. This is actually interesting, and, and the framework actually helps me understand. I think it's true, and I can see this happening in my own life. He says that it may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, right? And I'd say, well, yeah, probably most of us feel that. And we just assimilate to that in our culture because that's the nature of the culture that we live in, especially here in a place like Milton, Ontario. Then he goes, two, if that's happening, um, God becomes marginalized in the lives of Christians, right? It's like God gets a less, less and less space in our schedule, right? Less and less attention, less and less space in our mind. And if that's happening, uh, our relationship with God deteriorates, right, into something that, you know, is... is um, it's not growing into something greater and more life-giving. It's shrinking into something more stagnant and mediocre. And then he says, um, what happens when that happens is that Christians become more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how we live, yeah, which would be true, and then at least a more conformity of a culture of busyness and hurry and overload. He says the cycle begins over and over again. 
and we're living in that. I'll tell you about my cycle, because this is, I, I don't know what your life is, I don't know what you feel, I don't know what your experience is, I'm not going to judge you, because I don't know what you are, and I don't know where you're at, and I don't know how this stuff affects you. This is how, this is my cycle, this is my hamster wheel. Uh, Twitter, to Instagram, to Facebook, to iMessage, to WhatsApp, to Facebook Messenger, to email, and back to Twitter. Uh, does anybody live in that? Yeah, you're, you, John's like, you're crazy, man. Yeah, I know. I try, I'm fighting every day to not live on that hamster wheel. I don't know, is anybody with me where you're like, bounce to bounce to bounce to bounce to bounce and ah, back again, right? Okay, thank you, Derek. Gosh, I'm not alone, right? Shoot, I am. All right, other, another hamster wheel my family lives on. Um, new season of Shark Tank. New season of Survivor. New season of Jack Ryan. New season of Yellowstone. We watched them Kins Convenience, but they don't have any new seasons in there. And then we got to watch season two once they all come out, right? And that was being, like, really gentle and light. There's a lot more on that list, but it's this uh, hamster wheel, right? And then you pick up a new show, and it's great, right? But you have to watch season two of it, you know? It just keeps adding and adding and adding. Out of sports fans in the room, sports fans, the black family, yep, yeah, of course. Uh, what's your cycle? It's Blue Jays to f- some football, Right? To hockey or basketball, whoever's doing better, right? Because who has time for both, right? And, uh, and then you got playoffs, and then, and then you, got, you got Blue Jays again, right? But then what gets mixed into all that, it's wild. What gets mixed into all that is you have to watch the World Cup every four years. So once every four years, no big deal, right? But you've got to also watch the Euro Cup because it's almost as good. Every, so it's every other year, right? And the, the Olympics, you have to watch the Olympics. You can't miss the Olympics, you know what I mean? Right? Fair, right? And then you have to watch the Winter Olympics, right? Because you can't miss the Winter Olympics, right? That's a, the World Juniors. That's right. So, see, I go to Indiana after the after Christmas, and 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 I miss it. So I don't I don't feel that hamster wheel. But it used to be. It was good. We watched the final game. Great. Go Canada. Congratulations, Canada. You won another meaningless tournament in the world. <laughs> it's great hockey, though. But yeah, you have to. And that's annual, right? And it's like two weeks long, three weeks long, huh? It's wild. Uh, when I drive somewhere, I don't know how you are. When I drive somewhere, I try to not do this when my family's in the car because they hate me for it. But sometimes I do when they're in the car when it's a long drive. But when I'm on my own, I mean this. I go from an audio book, then when I get bored of it after an hour, if I'm driving somewhere long, right? Then I jump into a podcast, probably a second podcast, and I go... <laughs> Content overload, got to get some music on. So then I play some music, and then I, I go, oh, I'm tired of that. I'll play a different artist, and then I'll play a different artist. And then I'll think to myself, if it's a long enough drive, I'll think, gosh, I'm not learning anything. Got to put on an audiobook, right? <laughs> That's what I'll do. I'll do that. That's my life. It's just a cycle. Oh, my goodness, this hamster wheel. It's nonstop. And I'm not making this up. This is how I live. And I know you think, wow, you're an unhealthy person. And I would say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of the point. And then you're like, why are you there talking? And it's like, I don't know. Shouldn't have given everything you gave in December. Um, <laughs> the finance guy thinks that's hilarious. I don't know. My daily fight is uh, I wake up to an alarm. I feel tired every morning. And I, uh, I wake up. I get ready. I get out the door, I forget to make breakfast, and I forget to bring lunch. 
And then I work really hard. I bounce from task to meeting to email to task to meeting to brainstorming session to email to task and maybe take in some content, maybe read a couple pages. And then I go home and I watch my kids and hang out with them. And they're young, so it's, it's work, right? It's lovely, it's lovely, but it's work. And then we fight them to sleep every night. And then in my home, we clean up after them and do dishes. We don't have a dishwasher, so we spend time doing dishes. And then we just like veg out, watch TV just to survive, right? And then we go to bed later every night that I wanted to. Almost every night, right? Because I'm like, I should go to bed at this time, but we got to finish the show or we got to watch another episode, right? And that, that's the cycle that continues in our life. When I first heard these quotes about hurry, uh, it made sense immediately. I don't know about you, there might be some of you, and this is, not an, this is a good thing. There are probably some of you in the room who, like, you're hearing this and you're like, that's an insane pace. I don't live that way. You're, there's something wrong with you. And I would say, you're right. And then I would say, I don't, it's not just me, right? I don't think so. I think it's actually like, I think it's the norm, isn't it? And like, if you're in this room and you're like, ooh, I'm nowhere close to that. I'm chill. Then it's like, no, you're doing well. You're doing well because the norm is this perpetual cycle, this, this hamster wheel of life, especially in the West, especially here in Milton. And like, I didn't talk anything about the work that you have to put in just to pay for your mortgage, right? And the additional work you're having to do now that your mortgages went up by a whole lot. I'm not even talking about that. That's, that's, that's just like, that's day to day. You have to go to work, right? We're not even talking about that. It's what we live, right? So when I heard this, I thought, wow, immediately I thought, Yep, that's it. It's, it's so right. It's so right. The biggest barrier to my life it, it, to spending time with Jesus is my busyness. And it's not busyness with things I have to be busy with, right? It's, it is just busyness with options to choose, to do, to satiate, to entertain. And then the thing that struck me, that convicted me, I remember reading and listening to this quite a few years ago and going, yeah, I, that's me. But then I think the thing that struck me was the question, Okay, if that's true, um, what are you being, what is this rhythm forming you into? What is this, what is this hamster wheel making you become? And that was a heavy question. Because I don't know. Because I don't, because I'm not intentional about it. Like I'm not, I'm not jumping from Twitter. I'm kind of intentional about it. Like I want to keep up with the news and I want to keep up with people and, and I want to respond to people. I want to be the kind of person to respond. So I'm keeping up with it for a purpose, but, but not at the magnitude that I am. And, and, and I'm watching shows to be entertained and to spend time with my wife and to just like enjoy things and relax and not think about all the stuff of the world. So there's an intention to it, but, but what is it forming me into is the question. And I don't have an answer to that question. I just feel like I'm, I'm just doing it. And so I really felt convicted when I started to listen to the Spirit of God say, um, do you know what all those things are turning you into? And, and, and then the question was, is that a person of love? That's That hit me hard. I was like, oh, I hope so. Like, I hope I'm doing enough to become a person of love. I hope I'm doing enough to become more like Christ, but, but are, is that hamster wheel of life that I'm living in? Turning me into a person of love. First Corinthians 13, the love chapter, you've heard this before at weddings. Paul talks about what love is, and then he ends off, he says, um, everything boils down to faith, hope, and love, and the greatest thing is love. 
And then we read in 1 John, we read all about how God is not just, like love is not just an attribute of God, but everything falls under the umbrella of love. God is love, is what it says. And so if we're spending time with God and God is growing in us and we're being formed to God's likeness through Christ, then we are becoming love. We are becoming more like love and love is growing in us. And, and I didn't have an answer to the question of whether or not love was growing in me because it was intentional about the cycle that I was living. John Mark, he says that hurry and love are incompatible. I thought, oh, that's a little extreme. Hurry and love are incompatible. I thought, are you sure about that? He goes on to say that the antithesis of relationship, and this is what he's getting at, the antithesis of relationship is hurry, busyness, and distraction. How well are your relationships doing that are hurried, that are busy, that are distracted, right? I don't really like the people that I'm distracted with something else when I'm around them. Like if I'm with someone and I'm like on my phone and like waiting to get out of that conversation and move on to someone I actually like, like that's not, I'm not growing in love for you, right? I'm like, I'm like just entertaining you for a minute. I don't know how over the holidays, if you have uncles like that, that you're like, oh, get me out of here, right? And like, oh, there's World Juniors on, and you're like, it's, it's really important, I gotta check it, and like, you just, you're just like, I don't love that guy, you know what I mean? I might, you see where we're going? John Mark, he continues on, he says, love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all that Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life. And all three are incompatible with hurry. John Ortberg, another, um, like, world-class North American uh, pastor and teacher, he says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, it is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. This is not an indictment on anybody, but I don't know if anybody has grown kids who aren't really following with God and and I don't know if you've thought about it. I've thought about it just as someone who's grown up as a kid and grown up with my peers. And a lot of the ones who are not following God, it's in, in, their, in their late 20s and 30s. It's not necessarily because they have a really good reason not to. Some of them, you know, it's, it's, it's head stuff, maybe. But a lot of them, it's just like, they're just, they're just busy, right? And like, they were just distracted as a kid with all these other opportunities and, and privileges and, and potential. And we invested into that. And so now they're adults and they're like, there's just no time for God, right? It's not like they walked away and renounced their faith in any kind of way. It was just like, just wasn't a part of their life, and it just isn't anymore. And I see that in my peers, and uh, well, it's sad to me to see that. Because they're going to walk away from God and your faith and everything that it offers just because you got distracted. Like, that's, it's sad to me, you know? There's so much more to life for them. The question might be, have you been settling for a mediocre version of Christian faith because it fits nicely with your extremely busy schedule? That might be the question that's coming out of this piece right here. I th that's the question I had asked myself. At a personal contemplation this week, this is going to sound like I'm a terrible dad, but please, trust me. Right? <laughs> well, you should question everything, actually. Um, I had this contemplation. I came back from work this week. I just had this online, like this digital interaction with somebody and uh, it was around parenting, and I came home, and I took out the trash. And when I went to put the trash in, it's like this thing hit me like a freight train. And it felt like it was 
maybe it was God, maybe it was just me and like the emotional standards, but, but the thing that hit me was that my kids will unlikely be the best at anything they do. Is that funny? Is that hilarious? Is that terrible? Yeah. I'm going to unpack it for you, trust me. Yeah. Give, give me some space here. I just, I just had this, I had this realization that it's unlikely that my kids will be like great at anything, like the greatest. And, it, and it's not because I don't have faith in my kids. If you know anything about me, I think they're the best. I think they're better than all your kids. So who's laughing now, right? I do. I think they're smarter. I think they're cuter. I think they're sweeter. I think they're funnier, right? Yeah, and my dad agrees with me, right? So it's not capacity. It is nothing to do with their ability. It's nothing to do with their potential. It's nothing to do with their opportunity. I don't think my kids are going to be really great at anything in particular. Because in order to be great at something, there's a cost to that, isn't there? There's a big cost to kids being great. Uh, I grew up playing AAA baseball. And uh, here, around here, AAA was like the highest level you could play up until you're like 15 or 16. Now it's Canada, so not really that great. But for around here, it was, it was decent. I was mediocre on my team at best. Don't be impressed, right? I think I was in the bottom half, probably, right? No, I'm being fair. I really was. Like, I, I started at first base, um, but that's just because of my size, right? Uh, pitching was okay. Not the best hitter in the world. You'd think I'd hit a lot of home runs. I'd hit a lot more in softball because the ball comes way slower, right? My eyes just couldn't catch up with it, right? So, um, yeah, not that wonderful at it, but played a lot. And you saw there's a marked difference between, between, um, between the kids who, like, pay for the extra training and the kids who don't, and the parents who pay for the travel team and the kids who don't. And the kids who, like my family, by the grace of God, when I got older, they said, do you want to go to youth group or baseball practice? And a lot of people don't give their kid that option because baseball, you committed to a baseball team, youth group can be on hold, right? And my, my parents were wise enough to give us that space and decision. And there were sometimes they chose, oh, I'd rather go to youth group, right? Because they're not going to ask me to field ground balls and stuff like that, right? But there was also friends there and there was also a relationship there. And, and there was almost like we knew instinctively that this is not the biggest deal in the world. I don't need to be anything in particular to impress my parents. Like I worked hard, we did well, we had a good run of it, but there's way more to life than this. And I just felt that, I experienced, I knew that because my parents lived that way. They, were, they had a wisdom that I didn't have, but, but growing up, I look back and I go, wow, I compare that to other people. And I think that there's, there's first of all, my kids are not gonna be, probably not gonna be great at anything because m- no matter how much investment, like the odds of people actually being great at something, right? Uh, Adelina right now, I'm looking at you because your daughter's in dance, right? Adelina loves ballerinas right now. She walks around and goes, I am a pretty ballerina, right? And she's looking after her sister, and her sister's got a billion dresses. They dance. They love dancing. They love ballerinas, right? And honestly, the thought when I was taking the recycling was, I'm probably never going to pay money to watch Adelina dance in a show. Like, she's never going to be that level of dancer, right? Even if she likes dancing, gets into it, right? We're never going to invest at the level it takes to get them there, let alone if you do the odds of them getting there. You know what I mean? Does that, does that cover that a little bit more? And you're like, okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying here. Our family, we're, um, we're just unwilling to put everything into it. 
We're unwilling. I was, at a, I was at a hockey game, a Notre Dame hockey game with another pa- youth pastor friend of mine who we was sitting next to somebody. And um, you know those parents who are like, they're all in. <laughs> so this guy, this guy's all in. So he, he, he was impressing two youth pastors um, about, uh, he was trying to impress us with how, how much time he spends on his, his daughter's hockey. He was telling us about the training. We didn't ask him for any of this information. <laughs> you know this parent, right? He's like, he's name dropping coaches and trainers. And we're like, we're not even from here, dude. But, but he's name dropping all these people. He's telling us the schedule. He's going from here to there, to here to there, to here to there. And, and my friend Jordan and I were looking at each other like overwhelmed, right? And Jordan had, he asked, he said, oh, that's great. Well, it sounds like at least you drive her everywhere so you can spend time with her. And he kind of jokes, he's like, oh no, she just listens to her AirPods, right? He joked. And honestly, like our heart sank. We've seen the story. We know how this goes. You know how this goes, right? It's heartbreaking. That was the norm. And he sold it as like, well, I got to give my kid the opportunity. The most important thing in the world is my kid to get this opportunity to play at Notre Dame hockey, right? That was his thing, right? It's like, man, your kid might get the scholarship, maybe. And maybe we'll do four years and they will be 21 and you won't have a relationship with them and they will be miserable and they won't have an identity and they will struggle with who they are. Probably what will happen. It's not an indictment. It's just that's the norm, right? It was sad to hear, even though for him it was like the, the crown jewel, right? On his chest plate that he was celebrating. And that's the norm, isn't it? So to say what I said, it feels heavy, doesn't it? It feels heavy to say my kids probably aren't going to be great at anything. But there's also a weight lifted from it. The heaviness is like, man, there's other kids who are going to be really, really excellent at things because they're just going to do it all the time. But there's a freedom in like not putting that on my kids and not having had that put that put having that uh, put on myself. I want my kids to know God, and I want my kids to know they're loved by God, and I want my kids to know that they're loved by the family of God. That's why I want baseline. And I don't just say that because I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to. Like what I want my kids at least to get is that they love God, they know God, they're loved by God, the family of God loves them, right? The relationship. I want them to get that. And I want my kids more than anything. I don't care how impressive they are at dance or how terrible their artwork is that I put on the fridge. I don't care. And you will agree with me if you're parents in the room. You don't really care. You want your kids to love God and love people well and love their community well and be known, and be secure, and be emotionally healthy, right? That's what you really want, right? You're like, that's... But what does that take? What does that require of you? What does that require of us? What is... Well, it takes time, doesn't it? It takes time, it takes investment. It takes priority. If the greatest barrier to knowing the love of God in our life is the pace in which we live, if that's true, then we need to start living at a pace or living at the speed of love. If the greatest barrier to knowing God and knowing the love of God is actually the pace in which we live, then what we need to do, what will feel very different about the way that I live and compared to every other parent in Milton who has their kid overprogrammed in AAA everything, is the pace in which we live, the speed in which we live. And the speed itself is a speed of love. And what I mean by that is that love in relationship takes time and it is steady and it is ongoing and it is processed. You know this about all relationships. 
Your love with God, your love with your spouse, your love with the kids is a lifetime endeavor. And it is not fast-tracked. There are no hacks to it, right? We know this. So living at a speed of love that affords us time with God, time with ourselves, getting to know ourselves, growing an awareness of ourselves and our own feelings about God and our own thoughts and spending time with other people in a sincere way that actually leads us to being known and knowing them. That's the invitation. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, he says this, we read it this morning already, Um, Dean Dean mentioned it. In verse 28 to 30, we're just going to camp here for a second. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Leading up to this, Jesus is talking about, um, uh, Matthew's talking about John the Baptist and the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus. And so John the Baptist is in jail at the beginning of the chapter. John the Baptist is in jail. If you know any of the story, you can pick up with me. If you don't, I'm not going to explain it too much to you. But, but John the Baptist was this guy who was like telling people, hey, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming, basically. And he happened to be cousins with Jesus. And so he's out in the wilderness. People from all over Israel would go out to John and, uh, and listen to the message. And then they would get baptized and repent. Jesus himself, if you've read about Jesus' baptism, he goes to John to get baptized in the water, right? And so that's who John is. And John's disciples, people who are following John, because a lot of Jesus' disciples were actually John's disciples first. They're followers of John preaching about the kingdom coming, and then they were following Jesus about the kingdom having come. And so they go out, and, uh, and, and John's preaching about Jesus, and, and they ask the question, John asked them, um, John asked, I think, some of his disciples the question, like, who is Jesus? Is he the anticipated Messiah? And so they go and they ask Jesus, these disciples of John, because John wasn't really sure. And, uh, and so Jesus responds with, well, I've done these things. And John would recognize that these are the things that mean he is the Messiah, right? And so he responds with the, the blind can see and the sick are healed and yada, yada, yada. So, so they report back to John and say, yeah, he is the Messiah. And then, um, and then Jesus goes on to talk about John and say, who do you guys say John is? Who do you guys think John is, this baptizer guy? And so he goes like, um, do you think he's, uh, the language that they used was, um, was like asking, is he a king? Jesus is like, do you think he's a king? Uh, something about soft cloth. If you read there, the language is confusing. But if you read the question about, is he wearing soft cloth in the wilderness? That actually is a reference to royalty. So it's like, do you think of John the baptizer as a king? Like a political figure some kind of way? And the answer was no. And then the question was, do you think of him like a prophet? And, uh, and then Jesus' Jesus's response to them was uh, John is, is more than a prophet. And, uh, and so what Jesus was saying was like, hey, what John is saying is the thing that you need to be listening to and it's the thing that's leading to what I'm saying. But then he goes on about like, he goes on about performing miracles and then people not believing the miracles and then they're being condemned more than Sodom. Like it's this really bizarre, confusing stuff that's going on. I tried to distill it when I was reading, because if you read text in scripture, you got to know what happened before it, because usually there's something going on before it, and you got to know what's leading up to it. And what I sense, what I'm, what I'm, what I, based on what I'm reading and paying attention to, is, is that what's happening here is John, Jesus saying, look, there's a bunch of religious people who have told you for years that these are the things you have to do 
to gain favor with God. You've got to strive for this. You've got to gain that. You've got to get importance in this way. You've got to gain righteousness in this way. You've got to live in accordance with this set of standards. You have to gain sort of power in this kind of way. That's the reference to a king, the reference to prophets, and the reference to people not repenting with the kingdom of God when they saw the miracles of Jesus. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, look, that yoke that they're carrying is heavy. The burden of that is heavy. That's where all this is coming from. He's saying the children of Israel thought that the way to God, the way to self-importance, the way to fulfillment, the way to righteousness, the way to goodness, the way to power, the way to meaning, the way to the good life, eternal life, was through striving after these things, pursuing these things, was through achievement and success, was through perfect righteousness by living the perfect way. And Jesus is saying that is not the message that I have to offer. What Jesus is saying here is Jesus is saying, the message I have to offer is way lighter than that. It's way more freeing than that. The yoke that you would carry is, um, is light. The burden is, is light. So let's talk about that. The yoke, you guys, many of you grew up in church, so you know what a yoke is. Uh, for those who don't, a yoke in the first century was a thing that connected two um, bulls or cows or ox, right? And uh, it would connect them so that they worked together in pulling something, right? Toiling a field, pushing something. A lot more work could get done when you connected two bulls and their strength, their oxen and their strength, to do the work, right? And so the yoke was the, the wooden bar that connected the two of them. And, uh, well, in, in, in the New Testament, um, we know that Jesus is actually a, uh, he's a, a woodworker of some sort, a carpenter of some sort. Some say like maybe a stonemason, but then this, mess, this, this text here gets you the impression like he's actually a real carpenter and probably built yokes for a living or at least one of the many things he did. So he understood them. And, and what he's trying to get at here is that um, when you're building a yoke, what really matters is that the yoke perfectly fits the oxen. These things had to be custom built. These were not like on a manufacturing line, right? These things had to be custom fitted so that when the bull, the oxen were working, they wouldn't chafe, right? They wanted to be fitted perfectly around them so it would be comfortable so that the pulling, the working, the toiling was actually a lot lighter work and it didn't cause a lot of pain and friction. That's the idea there. And so Jesus, a master yoke builder, somebody who had understood this, what he's saying you see, saying, my yoke, my message, is perfectly suited for you. It fits you perfectly. He's saying the yoke that they were carrying before, the message of the kingdom before, which was do all this stuff, achieve all this stuff, strive towards all this stuff, pursue all this stuff for self-importance to experience God, the kingdom of God. He's saying that's heavy, that's exhausting, that is chafing against your very being, and it's wearing you out, and it was wearing them out. And he's saying, come follow me, Walk in my ways, because the message I have for you, the life I have for you, is actually perfectly suited for you. It's a way lighter walk. And you don't experience the chafing that you experience on a poorly built yoke. William Barclay says that, he says, when he says my yoke is easy, the easy word in Greek is um, well-fitting. And so he goes on to talk about how the ox, they were, they were, these yokes were made with yoke, and they were made with perfect measurements for the ox, so that... Uh, it wouldn't chafe up against them. And then Michael Green, he adds to that, he starts talking about how metaphorically the yoke would have been understood as um, 
describing the Jewish law. When you were a, a child becoming a man in Jewish tradition, you had a thing called a bar mitzvah, and they still do that now, and it's kind of like this, this entrance into adulthood. And, uh, and part of that entrance into adulthood is actually taking on the yoke of the law. That's what they would have done. They would have said, now you are bound, you and the law are bound by a yoke, and you are walking together in life with this yoke bound to the law so that you could live the good life. And the offer from Jesus wasn't not a yoke at all. It wasn't avoidance from the responsibility and the work. The offer to Jesus was one that was perfectly suited for you in a way that wouldn't rub up against you, in a way that wouldn't cause friction, would actually relieve your anxiety, not increase it. Would actually give you rest, not weariness. Stuart Weber, in his commentary, says the tense of the first verb of the phrase weary and burden conveys the idea of continual weariness and exhaustion without a minute of relief. The perfect tense in the second verb implies that the people were completely loaded up at some time in the past and the load remains perpetually on them. These people needed a break, is what he said. Do you feel that? I don't know about you, but I feel that all the time. The yoke of the life we're living is exhausting, it's, it's burdensome. And the one that Jesus offers us, his promise is that it's light, it's easy to carry. Tom Wright, he summarizes it in this way, he says, Jesus sliced through all of that with a stroke, all of the stuff about yokes and all the stuff about the law and all the stuff about Pharisees and striving, he slices all through all of that. He says, he declared, you just need to be a little child talked about this. You just need a faith of a child. Jesus had to come to know his father the way that his son does, not by studying books about him, but by living in his presence. That is how you spend time with God and know God, by listening to his voice and from learning from him as an apprentice does from a master, by watching and imitating. And he was now discovering that the wise and the learned were getting nowhere and that the little people, the poor, the sinners, the tax collectors, the ordinary folk, they were discovering something more of God simply by following him. Wright goes on to say that Jesus, then the learned specialist who declared that what he was doing didn't fit with their complicated theories. He goes on to say when he declares here in the old translation that he is meek and lowly of heart, he isn't boasting that he's attained some level of special achievement. He is encouraging us to believe that he isn't going to stand over us like a policeman. And he isn't going to be aggressive with us like an angry school teacher. That he welcomes us and he offers us, or he welcomes, then the welcome that he offers for all who abandon themselves to his mercy is the welcome God offers through him. This is the invitation which pulls back the curtain and lets us see who the Father really is. The encouragement to us, or encourages us to come into his loving, welcoming presence. The point of that all is that you're being invited to a season. If you're here right now and you're listening, you're being invited to a season. You're being invited to a season where you say yes to more of God and you say no to more of the hamster wheel of life that a lot of us live in. We're invited to a season where we um, will get to unhurry our lives instead of adding something to them. We're being invited to a season where we actually unhurry our lives by abiding in Jesus and spending time with Jesus and being formed by life in Jesus 
and then living out of the priorities that flow from that rather than adding Jesus as another priority to our already busy list. Later this month, we're going to talk about uh, more abiding in Jesus. Pastor Ian's going to talk about it next week. And we're going to talk about a rule of life. We're going to be talking about a framework for emotional and spiritual health. And then we're going to be talking about what does it look like to do that in the context of community. And the invitation to you, the invitation to us together, is that if we want to see, this is a conviction, if I want to see the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, and, um, and spiritual formation happening, and discipleship happening, in my kids' lives, and then 100 years from now, by my kids to other kids' lives, then we as a community, we as a church, need to start taking more seriously, not more seriously like it's an add-on in its work. Maybe we need to start taking Jesus and discipleship seriously in such a way that our whole life is built around it and, and done so in the context of community. And so over the next couple weeks, we'll be talking about it. We'll be teaching um, from Scripture about it. And then what we're also going to be doing in the next couple of weeks is inviting you into new rhythms to live into as a body of Christ here in the Milton that at first are going to come up against everything that's already beaten up against you. They're going to fight against time, fight for time in your life. They're going to fight for room and space in your mind and your heart and then your schedule. But the hope is, the trust is, the promise is that what will happen over time is that that those things will actually free us from saying, to say no to all the other things that are already busying us, already hurrying us, already stressing us out, already creating anxiety. And it'll be the very kind of things that are going to give us life and life to the full if we live into them. So that's the invitation. I want to pray for us, and I don't want to just pray like a closing prayer. I want to just spend a moment here. And um, the application today, the application is actually to go into this week Like, um, going into this week with the intention of finding rest. One of the things I asked people as they came in today, because my first time back over the holidays, is like, did you find rest these holidays? And uh, I'll be honest, there's times where I did and there's times where I didn't. Some people had a really positive report. Some people had a, your typical Christmas report. <laughs> yeah, I got to lay low was busy with a bunch of stuff, saw some family that was annoying, and uh, now I'm back at work. God, I, uh, I pray for rest for this church, and rest for myself. God, I know that I can't live into the rhythms and the patterns of life that you have for us as the community of God. I can't do that alone. I need family, I need community to do that with, to be held accountable with, to dream with, to work alongside with, to be creative with, to fight back against everything that's pressuring us and everything that is fighting for attention. I need community to do that with and to know that. And I also know, God, that you actually want to take us individually and call us into something new. I know that no matter what people's background here, no matter what their life has been like leading up to this point, I believe that you have a new season of life for them and their relationship with you, a new vitality to give them, a new side of your presence that they haven't experienced before. I don't care how much Bible they've taught. I don't care how much big of a business that they've built. I don't care how many kids that they've had. I don't care how many grandkids they have. I don't care how young they are as a teenager or how old they are as a grandparent. God, you have a new life. If you are the one who offers us life and life to the full and eternal life, and if you are the God of the universe, there's a new season for us. 
and it is found in spending more time with you. It is found in discovering you in new ways. It is found by reprioritizing our time and our energy and our efforts and our motivations and our priorities and our attention back towards you. And I pray that through that process, that your Holy Spirit leads us in that, guides us in that, gives us the strength and courage to live into that. That you bless us with everything that we need to take care of our families and to support them. And that you truly bless us with life and life to the full. I pray, Lord, that we see rest this week in you, if we can get it somewhere, somehow. I pray that we see rest that we can get in you, Lord Jesus, today, tomorrow, this week, as setting our kids up to lead the body of Christ in 50 years from now in Milton. I pray that we see things that way. And I also pray that we don't carry the weight and the burden of that, that just being with you and just resting in you and just sitting in the presence of your love is what will produce that. And that's a freedom and it's a gift to us. I do pray for people who are probably thinking, wow, my life is too busy right now, God. I pray that they actually spend time with you and that you make clear to them the things in their life that are probably going to go eventually and just give them the freedom from that in their heart and their mind. And I also pray for people in this room who are like, man, I got a lot of free time. I'm just looking for what's next. Lord, I just pray that you, um, you reveal to them the very kind of people and the very kind of practices that, um, that they can already start diving into to grow in. Thank you, Jesus, for a church and a body to do this with, to grow with, to take you seriously with, to listen to you alongside. All the stuff that we've done and we've said this morning is in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.